Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixoni Rare Plants. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And it is going to be a lovely day. Gorgeous. So, perfect day to either be in the garden or be in somebody else's garden. So, um, uh, it's going to be a lovely day out there. So, get out and enjoy it. Um, oh. Spring is... Um, Moving ahead fast. <laughs> sure uh, And if you're not out there watching, things will be over. I mean, my tulips have just about all gone over. It's just the late ones that are now. In oh, bloom. really? Gee, that yeah. was quick. It was quick. They they came. They out weren't quite f- out with your for your own. No, well, there were some out, but it wasn't. Yeah, the but main not all of them. Lush, yeah. but, you know. But of course, they've got to be finished because I've got another group coming through the garden in seven days' time. So oh, you know, that's Murphy's yeah, law. Yeah, so they'll they'll, they'll they'll miss the. Everybody will miss the actual. Uh, peak of tulip season well, in my garden. Well, as long as you've enjoyed it. Oh, look, I have. It's been lovely. Good. And, uh, but there's lots of other things coming out. There's peonies coming out. There's oodles of stuff. So, yes, it's lovely to be out in the garden and enjoying it at the moment and watching those weeds grow really well. And guess what? What? I think we might be going to get some rain. Well, we got, we got fantastic rain last Tuesday at Macedon. Mm. Uh, and, of course, I wasn't there. I was up at Brighton doing <laughs> talks for the Bright garden club, uh, but I got a text message from our tenant in the house next door saying that we'd had 34 mil, um, and I texted her back and said, are you sure? <laughs> but yes, apparently we did, we got 34 mil on Tuesday, mm. and it was it rained all day long, uh, Vanessa was looking after the nursery for me that day, and she said it virtually rained the whole day, um, so we were very lucky there, mm. and certainly it wasn't like that in Bright. There were just a few scattered showers in yep. Brighton. It didn't stop us doing whatever we were doing. Yep. Um, but, yeah, lovely rain. And if we get another follow-up, that'll keep me going for a few weeks without having to worry well, I about think I think tomorrow out. night and then Tuesday is the big day when we should get a fair mm. bit, I hope, because my garden is so dry. Oh, it is. It's been I'm dreadful. watering. I'm having to water. Yeah. 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 Yes, it's frightening, isn't it? It's <sighs> far I'm too early to be watering madly. I'm exactly. jealous, Stephen. Oh, I was about to say, good morning, Virginia Hayward. <laughs> I'm jealous. I would have loved a lot of rain last, and I'm hoping like it. We're meant to get it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I looked it up yesterday. Yep. And I'm praying because... Mm. I'm a bit worried we're in for a bad summer. Yeah, it's, it's very Exactly, possible. I think we're all worried about that. Mm. Yeah, but um, my garden is also looking stupendous at the moment. It's a very, it, it's a very good spring for some reason. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, stuff has done well. The bulbs have been particularly good, mm. and a lot of the flowering spring shrubs and trees seem to be doing a, a, an amazing job this year. So mm. I don't know what's going on, but uh, I'm reveling in it. Yeah, I went to Stephen's garden the other day, and the peonies are just looking Fabulous. <laughs> There's something about a peony. It doesn't matter how big a flower they get on them, they never seem to look vulgar for some reason. Really. And are these the new Japanese form well, no, of No, I haven't peony? got any of the, the itos in flower yet. No, I've only planted itos this year for the first time. Um, and I've got one that's going to flower, but I think it'll have an undersized flower because it you know, is a young plant. Yes. Uh, now, this is mainly, my, mainly tree peonies, although I've got a, a couple of lovely species herbaceous peonies, which I adore. They're very simple and... and, and Delicate looking things. Quite elegant. Yeah, they are. And I, uh, I'd forgotten I had peony vicii, which is quite a rare 
Japanese, Chinese um, herbaceous peony. And it didn't flower last year, so I forgot it was even there. But this year it sent up two lovely stems and it's got buds about to open. And it's a dainty little thing that's only three or four inches across. Okay. Pale pink to white, lovely foliage, just most elegant little plant. Mm. So, yeah, so I'm becoming a little bit of an obsessive when it comes to them now. I can't help myself. So I planted all the itos I could lay my hands on this year. So I got eight different varieties from Ronnie Bogle uh, up in the Dandenongs. So hopefully they're all rightly labelled, Ronnie. Uh, and um, so I planted eight itos in the garden. So that'll be fun to look at over the next couple of years because they were stunning in the south of France. Um, the massive peonies garden we went to had a few oh, itos in flower. They were incredible. And they were just beautiful. The Unbelievable. So, yes, yeah, so it's a very exciting time of the year. I love the peonies. So, yep. uh, and I've got three, I think, coming out for the first time this year. So Brilliant. it'll be interesting to see, one, what they look like, and also to check that the label was right in the first place because it wouldn't be the first time I planted one expecting a white and it's turned out to be a pink or, okay. or whatever. It's always one of those risky things with peonies. I don't know why, but for some reason or another, they don't always show up properly labelled. Yep. And so certainly when I sell them from the nursery, I always give them a health warning. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Hi, good, Graham. Good morning, Pam, and good morning all these peony growers. Look at them. <laughs> and... And tell me, Stephen, they really like the cold, don't they? Uh, particularly the herbaceous, the herbaceous. peonies. They yes. need a chill if they're going to mm. set buds well. Tree peonies don't seem to mind. Right. Uh, they're happy enough to have a, a, a freeze, yes. um, but they'll still set buds in Frankston. Mm. So, yeah, so the tree peonies are fine. And the itos, I am told, the intersectional hybrids, also don't need a chill. But mm. I haven't grown them enough, and I don't know that enough people they have They say yet. the itos will be perfect for Melbourne, but mm-hmm. you could grow them. You get cold. Oh, we've uh, we've had a very checkered career. Cold. We've had we've had herbaceous peonies in our garden about eight years, and honestly, we've had two years of them being very really good, and the other years have been terrible. Oh, yeah. yeah you should you should go and talk to a good grower. I'm, yes, I was going to say I'm just but an ig- ignorant rose grower. <laughs> <laughs> they, do, they do need a good feed, don't they? Yeah, they yes, are pretty hungry. They need mm, a good feed. Mm, um, and they aren't mm. peony roses. I might mention mm. that in passing as yes. we go past. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I try and, I'm trying to educate the public. It's only in Australia we seem to do it. You I don't know. hear people in England saying peony roses. They say mm. herbaceous peonies or tree mm. peonies mm. or mm. whatever. Um, I mean, I don't know why the rose thing got attached to them, but in this country, lots of people do it. Uh, and it's, apart from anything else, it's pointless. I mean, they're peonies, they're not roses, so why mm. throw the other mm. name exactly. in? Exactly. It makes no logical sense. Well, so, I believe it's because there are roses that are shaped like peonies too, and of course, the rose is so versatile, you can do anything with it, you know. Yes, you know, <laughs> I, yes even a poor grower like you who can't grow a piece of peony, you can actually grow a good rose. So there you can't help himself. No, you can't. can't hey, pe- no. People, people talk about uh, Queen Adelaide, which is Eve's Paget, and that's very much like a peony. And people talk about that and, and compare it with peony roses. Um, oh. <laughs> so it's a rose. It's like a peony rose. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It does sound a little bit weird, okay. but it's got a perfume. And I'm sorry, the peonies don't get the perfume. Oh, some of them do. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you are. Some peonies <laughs> have a stunning perfume. They are just no. showing, showing my ignorance. Yes, again. if you planted the tree peony souvenir de Maxine Cornu, yeah. uh, and then be able to say its name, um, <laughs> it has huge big apricot and lemon flowers, Ooh. and they're so big they tend to hang down, but it floats in a bowl and it's got the most exquisite citrus fragrance. Mm. Wow. So mm. some of them are really good. Well, we, we just conjured up this discussion first thing in the morning here for education. 
um, facility for all those people in Melbourne who have been thinking about peonies. (laughs) We must say a very good morning to Lucille Strachan. Good morning, Lucille. Good morning, Pam and everyone. And, of course, you're here representing uh, the Growing Friends from Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. sale time coming up. It's sale time coming (laughs) up. It is indeed, yes. Next weekend we'll all be there uh, with loads of lovely plants to sell to anybody who's interested in coming along. So all sorts available as usual. Fantastic. Uh, rhododendrons, uh, orchids, perennials, trees, shrubs, bromeliads, succulents, the whole jolly lot, herbs as well. So, yes, we'll have something for everyone, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Starting time? Uh, 10 till 4 on Saturday and 10 till 3 on Sunday inside the Botanic Gardens. Now, are you at Gate E? Where are yes, you? Yes, inside Gate E. Yes, we're back to our old spot. Your old spot. Yep. That's good. That's good. Yes. yes. Because Nothing it's entrenched like in my mind that you're gay too. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it got very confusing right. there for a while. Well, just for a couple of years. But yep. yes, we're now back into our old stamping ground and looking forward to it. Fantastic. Yep. Brilliant. Well, we'll talk a lot more about it soon. But I must get to some community announcements. Uh, first up, a little reminder that today is the last day of Tesla's Tulip Festival. So if you haven't managed to uh, get up to that and you want a quick look before all the tulips are gone, um, it's open from 10am through to 5pm. The address is 357 Monbolg Road there in Sylvan. Melway's reference is 123B5. Now, uh, also uh, on today is uh, the October guided walk down at the Geelong Botanic Gardens and this is uh, looking at Australia's iconic plants. Now you meet your guide at the front steps of the Geelong Botanic Garden. Cost is a gold coin donation and uh, starting at 2 o'clock. Now also on today, and it's been running yesterday as well as today, is the um, Spring Garden Weekend up at Cloud Hill. Uh, There'll be lots and lots of free activities included. There'll be mini workshops. Um, There'll be garden tours, 11.30 through to 3.30 with Jeremy Francis. There'll be a scarecrow competition uh, display from local schools. Peonies display uh, from Ronnie. Yes. There you go. Um, 11 a.m. through till 3, and uh, children's activities and a whole lot more. Uh, the mini workshop programs are going to cover camellias and rhododendrons, flowers from seed, heirloom uh, heroes, uh, all about tomatoes, climbers, citrus, berries, and on it goes. So, uh, uh, starting at 9 o'clock this morning, running through till 5. Cloud Hill, of course, is at 89 Alinda Monbolg Road there in Alinda. Uh, entry is free for Diggers Club members um, and under 16-year-olds and uh, for visitors, $10. Okay, also uh, on uh, today is the South Gippsland Group of Australian Plant Society have got their annual Native Flower Show this is in Leongatha for anyone down that way, running 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. Uh, so there'll be an extensive display of native, flower, native flowers grown locally and a huge range of named specimens. There'll be a big range of plants for sale from local wholesale nurseries. Um, there'll be books 
and uh, the show is held at the Langatha Recreation Reserve in the club rooms there. There's plenty of off-street parking, BYO, bags and boxes to take home your purchases in, and adult entry is $4 for that one. Now, just a reminder, I mentioned last week that Encouraging Women in Horticulture is running a coach tour to West Gippsland Gardens uh, next uh, Saturday, the 20th of October. Uh, they're going to be visiting Baramba, Country Farm Perennials Garden and Nursery, Piccadilly and the Garden at Broughton Hall. There'll be morning tea and lunch included. Uh, now, there are still... Uh, places available on that tour and they've included an extra pickup point now at Tainong uh, so they'll be picking up passengers at Gumbaya World Theme Park on the Princess Highway um, as well as uh, the normal pickup uh, place which is Federation Square so it's departing Federation Square at 8.30 return, returning by 5.45 now, um, if you're a member of the group, the cost is $85. Non-members, $120. Student members, $80. Student non-members, $100. Um, now, bookings are required by Tuesday, so you don't have much more time. You need to go to events at ewha.com.au. So that's events at ewha.com. A-U. Some of those gardens are really lovely. Broughton Hall. Broughton Hall you've mm. been down to, yeah. I know. Yes. Stunning. Excellent. Mm. Okay, uh, coming up uh, for Open Gardens Victoria next weekend, uh, there's a Werribee gardening, garden opening, and this is all about how a paddock came up roses. Are you listening, Graham? I'm listening. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the it, word rose, his ears just spike. That's right. <laughs> now, it's situated on the outskirts of Werribee on a working farm producing wheat, barley and canola. It's a two-acre garden. Uh, this is at Cloverdale, and it's been a labour of love for more than 35 years. It was once a bare paddock with 400-year-old remnant river red gums, um, it's now a romantic and colourful garden brimming with roses, wisteria and rose-trained arbours. While the gums still remain, tough perennials such as bearded iris, catmint and sedum also now thrive in the garden and it features a vegetable patch, chickens and a small orchard. Now the entrance to Cloverdale is welcoming and intriguing with a grand 200 metre avenue style driveway lined with majestic golden elms um, creating a virtually solid canopy underplanted with spring bulbs and over the past 15 years thousands of native trees and grasses have also been planted at the property creating a native forest which protects the rest of the garden from harsh winds so uh, and through that planting you can uh, do a full native forest uh, circuit walk on the adjacent side of the creek and that links back into the garden driveway so um, the details it's Cloverdale Garden the address is 85 Browns Road in Werribee uh, it's open next Saturday and Sunday 20th 21st of October 10am through to 4.30pm entry is $8 uh, children under 18 free students are $5 and once again, if you haven't received um, a free double pass, uh, 
recently. Uh, one lucky winner can phone up now and receive a free double pass. It will be posted out to you. If you give Carol a call and the number is 94198377, first caller who hasn't received a free double pass recently can have that double pass down to the Werribee Garden next weekend. That number again, 94190155. Okay, it's time we, uh, we mentioned, yes, of course, Virginia. We've been talking about secret gardens of the Dandenong Ranges for quite a while now, but it's, it's all coming up very yes. quickly. Yes, it starts this Wednesday. It, it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday for this coming week and for the following week. And every day it's a different lineup. So if you're interested in coming, each day you get three, at least three gardens. You get um, a, a wine tasting. You get lunch, uh, and it's really quite. And the whole thing will be done by bus because the Dandenongs have got such narrow roads to have heaps and heaps of cars yes. is not a good idea. And of course, the other thing, as you and I remember when we did it. It's so nice just travelling around on a bus talking to all mm. these other mad keen gardeners. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's wonderful. And there's still some places available. So if anybody's interested, my garden's in the following, th- the second Thursday. The article in The Age yesterday was about one of the gardens. So if people are interested, you go to secretgardensofthedandinongrangers, one word, dot com dot au, or if that's too hard... You can ring Mary on 0419-582-410 and she'll organise, tell you what's going on and where the spaces still are available. And uh, if you go to that uh, that uh, online address, you can see the full programme and which gardens are available on which day. Yes, it tells you which gardens are available yeah. and what the line-up is for each day. Mm. So it's going to be fun. Fantastic. Okay. Graham. You've brought in a couple of roses again. How could you not? Let's have a chat about them. Oh, I brought, brought in some of these prickly weeds again, yes, Pam. Terrible. Blackberries, they are. Everybody <laughs> avoids me in the studio, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, it'll, it'll sink into you eventually. Yes. It's, it's not too gr- true, Graham. I adore them, except mine are all covered in aphids at the moment. No, oh, aphids are, are really on the Actually, mark. They're on my um, Jap maples this year, yeah. too. The, uh, oh, are they? The, uh, oh, yeah, Jap maples are quite prone to aphid in yeah. the early I must have spring. a look at mine. I haven't uh, noticed any. I was looking at one of mine coming down the driveway of the nursery yesterday. I thought, its leaves are coming out a bit small this year, and then I had a close look, and yes, the yeah. aphids, oh. there's millions of them on them. Mm. They'll disappear later in the season, yeah, but of course yeah, they will. The early in the spring, I have to get a hose out and see if I can wash some off. Mine are on the hellebores, mm. incredibly mm. badly on my hellebores, mm. flowers and leaves. Yeah. Well, keep a watch out for the ladybirds, because the ladybirds are yes, really increasing in big mm. numbers, mm. and and what, I, what we say to our customers is be patient, because the ladybirds need to build up their numbers. Yeah. And you will definitely see the ladybirds. They're very distinct, and we can see them now in the garden. Um, and and uh, they will then uh, devour as many as the uh, of the aphids as, as they can. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's, it's breeding. It's bird day, isn't it? Yes, yes, the breeding season for the for the aphids now. So that's the good news. And um, we find if you use eco oil, it doesn't kill the um, kill the ladybirds or any other good insects. So. And Eco Oil, of course, is an Australian product made from eucalyptus, canola, and um, melaleuca. Mm. Mm. 
So there's some good thing comes from native plants, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Besides roses. <laughs> yes. <Okay>. Speaking of. <laughs> um, yes. Um, speaking of these two roses, I bought in Pam their golden celebration and heritage. And the reason I bought them in this morning was that they're um, roses you can climb as well as form up into a shrub. Okay. So you'll get um, about two metres, two and a half metres out of these two roses, Golden Celebration, which is a gorgeous yellow with a perfume, a good perfume, and Heritage, of course, has been around for quite a while, and that will form up as a climber as well, another two and a half metres. So would you call that a pillar rose rather than an actual climber? You you could form it up as a a pillar or over an arch, just a small arch. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it'd have to be fairly small, Mm. yeah. But you can... You can also use them as, as a shrub, just as a normal shrub in the garden. Yep. Okay, so uh, I see that uh, Golden Celebrations is a David Austin. Yes, and so is Heritage. They're oh, both they're both David, David Austin's? Yes. What okay. Colour, what colour is Heritage? Sorry, Heritage is, is a very soft pink, lovely soft pink. And, of course, as I said, with Golden Celebration, it's a, it's a yellow that tends to have more orange in it, which, which helps to keep the colour of the yellow. It doesn't fade. As, mm. as a lot of yellows can do. Yep. Yeah, they're both okay. really good roses. They've been out now for oh about twelve years. Yes. And um, they've stood the test stood the test of time. Right. I've yes. got Nancy Haywood up one of my gum trees. Mm. Yeah, I'll tell her off for you. <laughs> <laughs> and she's been in flower yes. for, for a month. Yes. Looking yes. absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and and absolutely. absolutely distinct colour, isn't it? Very distinct. Absolutely mm. and gorgeous, I've got, right? I've got jasmine up the same tree. So the combination of the white beautiful. of the jasmine mm. and the pink of the Nancy Haywood is fabulous. Mm. And, and what a pity her name's not spelt the same way as my Haywood. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Bred by Alistair Clark too, and that... And no, that's good and, and very uh, drought tough. Is that why she flowers early? Because she's mm. an Alistair Clark. Mm. Um, Alistair Clark of course bred many roses and oh, yes. with with the view in mind of course of um, really drought toughness and drought tolerance. Uh, having Rosa Gigantia in the breeding and mm. you know, really tough rose. Yes, so mm. I think she I think she's really beautiful. Mm. I'm really quite mm. pleased with her. Mm. Only trouble is when I need to train her to keep going further up the tree, I have great trouble and <laughs> need a young person who can leap up. <laughs> or a very long ladder. <laughs> My leaping days have gone. Yes, yes, we all need young people to leap. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, Lucille, let's talk about the, uh, the plant sale because um, this is something that a lot of Melburnians look forward to every year. I'm sure they're going to be lined up from about 8 o'clock in the morning next Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps not quite that early, but I'm sure that there will be a good line-up by the time the gates open at 10, and they'll be facing a wonderful selection of Australian natives, some of which are uh, threatened in their areas, uh, which we are now growing, and bulbs as well as rhizomes. There are herbs. Pam has been really busy with propagating a wonderful selection of herbs. Not me, I might add. No, no, no. <laughs> Pam at the Growing Friends, yes. <laughs> the uh, other Pam. The other Pam. Right. That's right. Rhododendron vireas, well, Hannah it does a wonderful job with those, and she'll have a wonderful selection for everyone 
It's amazing how quickly she sells out of those. So well, they're damn good pot plants and things apart from anything yes. else, those Varea rhododendrons. So they, yeah. And because they have such long flowering period and because they come from a completely different climate to the classical rhododendrons, they're mm. a, a great garden plant for Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. Um, yes. And uh, it's good to see people still growing them because they they should be in every garden, but they're one of those things that seem to have sort of just been on the edges yeah. uh, in, in cultivation, mm-hmm. sadly, because I think they're great plants, the Varea rhododendrons. Well, uh, I must say the work that uh, Hannah's been doing, uh, they should be a lot more now around mm, Melbourne good. Gardens than there, there were. Uh, she does a wonderful job. Succulents, well, a wonderful selection of those again, along with bromeliads. And Ian has been busy with his hanging baskets, so there'll be a lovely selection of those oh, as well. Oh, okay. Uh, we ha- and he also looks after the climbers, so there'll be a selection of those. Camellias, well, Rosemary's been busy with those again, and we have some wonderful camellias taken from the wonderful selection that are available in the Botanic Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are perennials, of course, which I and my team help look after, and there'll be a good selection of those, of course, shrubs and trees as well as orchids. So lots there, for, I think, something for everyone. Absolutely. So, yes, be, if you want something special, you better be there early on Saturday morning because it's first in, best dressed. Uh, there are some things that uh, maybe people will miss that you might find on Sunday if you have a good look around. But if you really want something special, come in and look for it on, on Saturday morning. Now, um, Lucille, are they putting the catalogue up online again this year? Yes, as far as I know, they should be, and and hopefully from tomorrow, or if it's already it's already not up there now. Good, great, yep. excellent. So that means people can go in and see what's potentially yes. available. Yes, exactly. write their little list, list of what yeah. to aim for. Exactly, yes. and yeah. be now, there at the pe- gates. Ready. When people arrive, if they've got a specific thing in mind, how do they quickly find it before somebody else does? Well, they have to be uh, quick. It's amazing. Quite interesting watching the crowd come in when mm. they open the gates. Uh, we tend to set up our sales sites in a similar manner each time. So you'd know that We'd the varayas would be in a certain spot more or yes, less. Yes, yeah, uh, they tend to be up near the top. And the, mm. they let, we let people in the, the, at the bottom. I think we're still doing that this year because uh, sometimes these things do get changed. But the main thing is to look for the signs that say perennials, trees, shrubs, oh, yeah. Australian natives... Etc. Yeah, so um, everything is in a sort of some sort of order. Yes. Well, if you yeah. come in the gate, find a, a member of the friends group and say, "Quick, where are the varias?" <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or the herbs, or whatever, yes, whatever, whatever it is. You're actually after, yes. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it is because yeah, we're all there. It's ready. fun that sort of thing, yes. isn't it? You, you, you yeah. know, there's a limited resource there, um, and. Yeah. I think half the fun's in the in the hunt, isn't it? Really? Oh, oh yes. yeah, oh yes. And of course, you can go in and find the thing you didn't know you needed. Of course, yeah. yes. And I'm always I, finding those. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I always uh, I always suggest that to people when they come in the nursery. You know, they come in with a specific purpose in mind. And they say, "Well, why don't you have a look around? Because you never know. You might find that plant you didn't know you needed." <laughs> 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 and of course, members of the friends group are going to be on hand, so yes, plenty of advice available Absolutely. if you're not quite sure how big it's going to get or mm-hmm. where to. Play Place it or well, we do sell the catalogues um, only two dollars a copy, into which quite a lot of research and effort goes in, and so we'll be and I think we're returning, reverting to alphabetical catalogues. We've changed it over the last couple of years. We've had them in sections, right. so in shrubs, trees, perennials, yep. 
rhizomes, etc., which we think perhaps hasn't worked as well as it might have. So we're going back to the alphabet. Mm. Okay. And uh, just having a straight alphabetical catalogue. So hopefully people will in, uh, appreciate that and find what they want. Exactly. Mm. And we must emphasise that <clears throat> all proceeds made goes back into the garden. Absolutely. Yes, it certainly does. Yep. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, it's high time we opened up our lines for talk back. If you'd like to join us this morning, goodness me, we've got so many people who can give advice in the studio this morning. <laughs> we've got Stephen, we've got Graham, we've got Virginia, and we've got Lucille. So do give us a call. That number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you'd like to have a chat uh, this morning on the outside line, we've got Lu- Louise on the outside line. So 9419. Eight three double seven to have a chat to Louise. Virginia. Okay, well, I have brought in a couple of beautiful things. I've got here the Ixia viridiflora. Oh, yes, it's a gorgeous colour. It's an almost unbelievable shade. It is. It's not a normal flower colour no, by no, any stretch no. of the imagination. No, we've become fairly familiar with the Ixia duck egg blue mm. that is available. This is one of the wild parents of the duck egg blue. Oh, and okay. It's, it's a lot more vibrant, mm. and it's got this very, very dark, dark blue eye. Yeah, it almost so, looks black, yes. yeah. the eyes. So, so it's, it's just extraordinary. I originally got them from Greg Boulderston. Oh, yes. Oh, and yes. I remember he said to me, they'll go on, they'll go on, and then suddenly there'll be a wet summer and they'll disappear. Hmm. So what, if you, if you manage to get hold of them, what you must not do is put them somewhere where you're going to go oh, and merrily water all summer. Yes, yes mm-hmm. all right. Because they, they really need to dry out over uh, quite, quite a lot of those South African bulbs that we get, like the Watsonias, for example, actually in, in the wild like to be in a place where in winter they get a bit boggy mm. and then they dry out. But this Ixia virida flora does not like to get wet feet. So does it walk a little bit round the garden? It doesn't walk round the garden, but it does increase in size. Okay. So in clump. But it stays in its clump. But it stays in its clump. The duck egg blue, which is absolutely lovely and is a a paler version, it it does, I have found it has increased quite a lot. So the walking is actually spreading, isn't it? Yes. It doesn't get up legs and walk off. Well, it might be when you're not I suspect, yes, at midnight (laughs) some of them do. (laughs) You do wonder. Yes, Yes. you do. (laughs) Well, I got a plant from Stephen some years ago that's definitely walking. Okay. Mm. I like them if they... The ones that walk into the paddock, I worry about. Yes. I don't mind them walking around the garden. As long as they're manageable. Yes. That's the the point. And plants that move around via suckers and layers and whatever else are normally manageable. There are some thugs, but Mm. they're normally manageable. It's the things that self-seed everywhere that can be the really frightening ones because the seed can, in fact be broadcast over quite a large yep. area so you can have something come up from seed if the wind catches it or whatever uh, miles away from where exactly. it's Exactly. So, so you call them runners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, the winter flowering clematis for me is one of those. Yeah. The, the oh, yes, nephalensis. That, that does yeah. tend to self-seed itself around a bit. I don't have many seedlings come up, but I sometimes give a free one away in a pot plant that I didn't know was there. Um, <laughs> that know, happens. For me, they're moving. I, and, and the other thing that moves at my place is um is the is the spinach you okay. know i find yeah. it goes it yeah. moves yeah. but the and the worst as abso- does. Yes. yes the worst which is absolutely beautiful is the romnea the californian oh, poppy yes. 
It took mm. it seven years to even admit that it was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now <laughs> it's marching to next door, mm. oh, which I'm not... Ha- it's absolutely beautiful. Stunning plant. Yeah. But it's one of the world's great flowering plants. It is mm. absolutely beautiful, but it is marching, and apparently it'll even march under the driveway. It's been really? known to come up uh, between the skirting boards in people's houses. You know? Goodness In me. fact, I remember years ago seeing a photograph in um, one of the English journals, the one for the Royal Horticultural Society in England, and somebody had a built-in wardrobe and they showed a picture of a Romnia coming up on the inside of the built-in <laughs> war- wardrobe in, in the letters to the editor section. I still remember that. Um, I mean, it is one of those plants with an enormous zest for life if it's happy oh, where you put oh. it. But it's a weird plant because it can, as, as Virginia said, it can sulk and sulk and sulk and sulk, or you can plant it and it can die promptly mm. and, and for no particular reason. Uh, and then if it is happy... Off it goes. Yeah. And, and, and it you, loathes being moved, so oh it's yeah. very hard to give it to someone. Mm. Mm. But, oh. but, but gardeners are funny. Yeah. They whinge if they can't grow something, and then they whinge if they can. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was extraordinary with me, because it did take at least six years to admit that it was there. Yeah. Mm. Gosh, and it yeah. didn't flower for years because of it. And I'd look mm. at it year after year, think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out. And then suddenly, now... It's one of the ones I wander through the paddock between my place and next door and just check how far it's got with a spade. So I go, And you do know that it's under threat in the wild. Yes. It's actually quite seriously uh, rare in California where it comes from. Okay. Um, Which does raise an interesting topic because if something becomes extinct or near enough to in the wild and yet it's weedy somewhere else, should you or should you not get rid of it? Because then it could become extinct altogether. Yeah. You know, so you know, you do wonder. And at least Romnia has the good sense to be attractive. Send them back to California. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they don't like to be moved. <laughs> but it is like it is like the possums, because there was one of our possums from South Australia that was really, really badly threatened in the wild, and somebody luckily discovered them in New Zealand, busily eradicating it off an island there. Mm-hmm. And if they'd got rid of it. Before bringing some of them back, yes, yes, it would have been extinct altogether. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. there you go. But anyhow, Romney is not one of those plants I believe that you need to be too frightened of. Uh, For one thing, it does tend to come up as individuals. It doesn't make it an impervious mat, so it doesn't swamp things. It comes up through and around and with, and it actually would tie a border together which I find is quite nice, okay. um, so that you've got this sort of continuity. I, in think th- I think that's absolutely true, like the rust that you gave me that's travelling. <laughs> yes, that's another one of those plants that does have a zest for life. Uh, but I, have I, to I detect a theme here, yes. Stephen. <laughs> I have to say I have no desire to tie my garden into next door's non-garden. Yeah. It's a new well, type of plant. New type of plant. It's called zest for life plant. Stephen, yeah, that's you, right. Yes, that's exactly. <laughs> you've got to have the marketing right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Well, you do because if you tell people something suckers, uh, it's the it's the besides being prickly and not a rose, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, are two ways of stopping people buying a plant. Yes, exactly. You know, as soon as you tell people something suckers or it has prickles, they say no, thank you. Mm. Um, uh, and I always then, especially with the prickly issue, if it's a prickly plant, and I say. Uh, it has prickles. They go, oh, I can't plant something with prickles in it. And you say, have you got a rose bush? Yeah. And invariably they, <laughs> they say have. yes. And I say, you've got no damn excuse. <laughs> plant one of these as well. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Um, let's talk plants still. Well, the, the next one I've brought in is the Lithodora, which I've got um, quite a lot of this in my garden. And I've just redone my, my dam. And I'm going to put it all over the dam wall. 
It is the brightest, brightest mm. blue. It's an extraordinary plant. Uh, this is in the pot, and it doesn't look as good in the pot, but in, in my orange garden, I have got this, oh, it must be nearly two metres wide yeah, as a ground cover. Yeah, it makes big mats and yeah, beautiful yeah. things. Really and it'll trail mats. too, so it's if you had a raised yeah. wall or something, you could yeah. spill it straight down a wall. This is Lithodora. Yes, used to be called Lithospermum years ago. I'm not quite sure when the name got changed, but uh, Lithodora at least is slightly shorter and easier to spell. Yeah, and, and it's a really, really, I mean, to get a good solid blue in the garden yeah, it's is stunning actually quite blue. difficult. Yes. And it's a really beautiful blue. It's a mm. beautiful ground cover. And I find as a ground cover it doesn't get a lot of weeds coming up amongst it. No. So it's a, I think it's a very valuable plant. And I know a number of the wholesale nurseries around me sell it so I think it must be available in the nurseries. Oh yeah it is about a bit so you mm. should be able to buy it and there's a couple of different forms of it there's uh, one called Grace Ward which is a slightly larger sh- uh, blue than the wild form um, slightly different shade of blue too uh, I think Grace Ward's a slightly clearer blue uh, there is also um, there's also one that's got white in the flowers as well there is. there definitely is a white, this yeah. is diffuser and there is definitely a yep. white form of yeah. diffuser would you call that cobalt blue? Yes. I think Possibly. you would, yes, mm-hmm. I think yeah. so. Yep. That's the only blue we haven't bred in a rose yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'm still waiting to see that colour come up in a rose. <laughs> well, you can get cobalt blue budgerigars. Yeah, yeah, really. Good. Yes. yes. Started yes. it from the green in, in the wild and cobalt blues now. Yeah. Okay. I still mm. think it's going to be a while before you get blue roses in that colour. But anyhow, Stephen, uh, we're I'm working. not sure I approve anyway. <laughs> so I suggest to people that if they're looking for a good ground cover... Lithiodora. I always want to put an extra sound in there. Lithodora, not Lithiodora, which is what I keep saying. Lithodora is a really Mm. beautiful... And the other thing I've got operating as a stunning ground cover at the moment, covered in bees, is time. Mm. I've got time that is a a metre by a metre. I didn't know you had time on your hands. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just lovely. Does that escape in your garden? No, 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 time wouldn't. No, it no. doesn't escape. Okay. Um, and I, I've got one plant that hasn't spread because I use it so much in the kitchen, mm. but I've got others further out in the garden, so when it's getting to dusk, I don't walk that far. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and they have really made a really nice mm. big round mat, which is fabulous. Mm. And, and then the other one I've got, which is truly wonderful as a ground cover, is Bee's Bliss, Salvia Bee's Bliss. Yes, that's a stunning one. Yes. Beautiful. It is. It's, a, it's wonderful. I got that from Salvia Meg, and sh- and it's in quite a lot of that's in the botanic gardens now, and it's looking yes, fabulous in the is. gardens. We we will have it for sale at the Growing Friends, but not this sale. Ah, so you're you're propagating it yep. up for next time. Yes, indeed. Time that 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 uh, time is fantastic. If uh, I've seen it planted between um, paving stones, yes, and yes. you walk on it and crush it, and you get all that, that wonderful, wonderful aroma. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. it's just stunning. It's and bare feet, you can stand on the bees as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sue. <laughs> the other one of my herbs that has decided to travel is marjoram. Mm. Yes, it does. Mm. It self seeds itself around mm. quite a bit. Yes. No, it's not. It in my garden, it's not a, a pain or anything, and it'll often come up in the cracks between rocks and things like that yeah. where you'd never get something in, mm. but it's actually quite nice that something's done it itself. Mm. So, yeah, I've got quite a bit of marjoram around the garden that sort of started off from one plant I put in the edge of the veggie garden somewhere, and now it's popping up in quite a number of different places. Yeah. I, I had some fun with uh, the um, oreganos 
particularly doing that. I had one called Herrenhausen, which is an ornamental one, yeah. with lovely deep, dark pink flowers. And it crossed with the, um, the herb. Yeah. And I had all these uh, seedlings come up with pale pink or slightly deeper pink flowers. Yeah. Okay. So, interesting cross between the two. I don't yeah. know whether it's... Um, a legitimate thing, or whether I've, I dare say it has happened elsewhere, but uh, yeah, it's it's been quite interesting. But yeah, too many of them, I think. <laughs> There's only so much cooking you can do with the oreganos and marjorams. Well, there yeah. is. That's yeah, right. They're quite a strong herb, so you don't need that much. And then one of the other things that I just adore is Melianthus major. It's a very, very oh, yes. structural plant. Yep. Yeah. Um, Beautiful foliage. And the foliage is um, quite a grey colour. And the flower, which is is really rather large, mm. is a very very dusky maroon, mm. and so I think it's beautiful. It also is seeding off around my garden a bit, but it hasn't gone into any. Yeah, it, it has become weedy in some areas. I understand yeah. mm. certain climatic zones. It's become a bit of a problem. But I grow it in the garden at home, and I've never had any problems with it. It's it's always been fairly well behaved. Um, but I tell you a little trick I use uh, do with it because if you read the English books, they talk about cutting it down in the winter because it gets frowsy because of their cold weather, uh, and they sometimes have to put bracken over it or something to protect it for the winter. I actually prune mine in midsummer. So that by winter I've got particularly good foliage because that's when it becomes particularly telling. Uh, I mean, in the, in the hurly-burly of the garden during the summer months, if something like that disappears, you don't notice it so much because there's always something else to look at. That's right. So if I cut it back in midsummer, by the autumn winter I've got these fabulous big silvery grey leaves and they hold up beautifully in the garden right through the winter. Uh, and I think it's a great winter, fo- Ooh, great winter foliage plant. <laughs> yes, I, I would agree with that. I think it is really, really beautiful. It's a unique colour, isn't it? It's an extraordinary... And, mm. and the leaf... You don't see that colour often in the garden. No. no. Yeah. And, and the leaf colour. is also quite um, architectural and distinctive. Mm. I've got and it, it looks great with water on it. Yes. yes. Yeah, when you've had a dew or something and yes, the water yes, droplets yes. stick to the edges of the leaves and yep. it's lovely. And one of mine is planted next to the strobilanthes and the combination... The strobilanthes oh, yes. looks like it's somebody's put aluminium... Um, leaves in your garden mm. Mm. and so the combination of them together the strobilanthes and the melianthus is really quite quite lovely mm. good fantastic mm. excellent okay just um a reminder if you'd like to join us this morning we're running through until 9 15 our usual time slot so you've got an hour to jump on the phones and ask a gardening question or make some comment about what we're talking about do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Louise on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, let's go to a couple of your plants. All right. Well, I bought something sort of common as muck uh, along, uh, which is Lily of the Valley. And... It proves positive that global warming is happening because at Macedon, normally, your Lily of the Valley is at its best for Cup Day. Okay. Yes. And I can remember being told by, there was an elderly florist lady who used to live up in Mount Macedon, old Molly Ronald. She was part of the Ronalds family that had florist shops in Melbourne. And she used to steal everybody's Lily of the Valley to send down to the florist shop for Cup Day. Um, so that all the ladies could have their corsage of Lily of the Valley and right. all that sort of stuff. Yes. <coughs> well, this year I've got Lily of the Valley out in flower already, which I think no, is remarkably early. Um, 
And of course, it's a lovely plant. It's one of those plants that uh, either people grow exceedingly well, and it becomes a bit of a thug and comes up in the lawn, <laughs> or they can't grow the damn thing at all. Mm. Um, and lots of people whinge and complain about having tried to grow Lily of the Valley many times and not succeeding. I might add, never buy Lily of the Valley in a plastic bag hanging on a hook. It's not a bulb. It should never be sold that way. But you often see pips of Lily of the Valley with a little bit of sphagnum moss or something shoved around it in a plastic bag sitting in in a chain store. Um, It is pointless to spend your good money on that. Buy it as a plant growing in a pot where it's in good health and then you've got at least a better chance of starting it. Mm. Is the reason it doesn't grow for a lot of people because it needs both water and no north, hot north winds? Yeah, look, it, it, it's a European woodland plant, for goodness sake. So, yes, yes you're right. It doesn't like it hot. Uh, it needs to have a constant feeding of moisture during the summer months because of, uh, it doesn't die down till the end of summer, early autumn. Uh, so it needs to be kept moist right through that period uh, and it does like a soil that's got lots of deciduous tree leaf litter and stuff that mm. you know it, it, because it grows under the canopy of the uh, of the birches and things in mm. Europe uh, so you've got to try and simulate that habitat for it a bit uh, it likes an acidy soil although it seems to cope well in a, in a limey soil as well so actual pH doesn't seem to matter much okay. um, but it, yes it does like the sort of leafy soils and it certainly does very well in most of the gardens up around Mount Macedon mm. um, but when I take it down to my garden in Macedon it struggles because we get really dry in the summer and my soil gets a bit hydrophobic and um, and so I struggle with it there but you know, up on the mount proper it's it's fine and mm. uh, yeah and it's it's got the most heavenly scent uh, mm. the flowers are dainty little white bells I mean it's one of those iconic uh, oh, it plants is. Uh, and really nice glossy green foliage it's you know it's got a lot going for it mm. uh, and certainly if you end up with a lovely big mat of it um, it's heavenly I do I like Lily of the Valley it is it I is it's lovely. my grandmother just had a whole sheet of it you know yeah. it just and oh. where did she live Pam uh, Darabin, so a suburb so, of Melbourne, but it was under, from memory, it was under something like a camellia or something, mm. but lots of, of shade yeah. and dappled light and, mm. and, um, very moist soil. It was on the south side of the house and, yeah. I, I do feel that with a lot of these things, rather than how much sun they get, whether they get that north, hot northwest wind mm. in, yes. in summer is the makes real a question. Huge, it makes yeah. a yes. huge difference to the growing of things. It really does. Yeah. So anyhow, I thought I don't often bring something in as uh, uh, pedestrian, perhaps, but <laughs> I do love Lily but of the Valley. But it's gorgeous. And it is. It's a lovely plant. And, of course, I do grow the pink one and I do have the variegated leafed one. Uh, and, and there is a double flowered one which I had for a very short time, but I bought it from somewhere and, uh, when I tapped it out of the pot, it had virtually no roots under it. Uh, oh. and so my double one didn't make it. Uh, I must replace it again at some stage. Um, uh, although I wonder about the need for a double one other than the fact that you've got the double one. <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem to have much point, but it's sort of nice to have. The pink one is a very pale, pale pink. Uh, and again, whether it's, it's a beautifully soft colour. It is. It's very soft. Uh, but the flowers being so small, again, you know, just how much difference does it make to have the pink one? I don't know. The variegated leaf one, on the other hand, it's quite dramatic because it has yellow stripes that go up through the, the leaf all the way along the leaf blade. So mm. it's sort of got the zebra stripey effect. And it's actually quite bold and really interesting. So the variegated leaf one is certainly worth looking at, as long as one does like variegation. Some people don't. 
It'd be good in a darkish corner, though. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, the foliage stands yeah. out really well. Yeah, the variegated one, which is, funnily enough, called variegata. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Somebody had a real good sense of an imagination when they named that one. Um, but, yes, yeah, so there's more to Lily of the Valley than we think of, too, I guess. If you, yeah. know, you can always find something different. You could hold a collection of those if you're in a good spot <laughs> where you can grow. Yeah, well, you could, in fact. I mean, there are only probably four, maybe five different forms of Lily of the Valley in the country. There you go. I mean, there's more overseas, but certainly here. I know there's a giant one, which is called Somebody or Another's Giant. I can't mm-hmm. remember what its name is, uh, which has slightly bigger flowers and bigger stems. Um, Do so we have that in Australia? I believe so. Uh, I haven't bought it or found it anywhere, but I believe it's here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've got a funny feeling it might be something like Fordham's Giant or something like that, mm-hmm. but I can't remember. It might be Fordham and Mason's Giant. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so Lily of Valley is a lovely plant and it does frustrate an awful lot of people because many people mm, struggle yes. to grow it at all. Yes. But I do have to reiterate that buying a pot-grown plant is a good start. You've got far better chance mm. with that than to mm. buy bare roots of it because mm. they dry out very quickly and then they just lose any will to live, really, basically. Fair enough. I also think that bare-rooted is very, very difficult here because... We're so warm that yes. things don't really go dormant, dormant. No, it's true. I mean, yeah. when I yes. buy my bare-rooted trees in, I normally pot them as soon as they come in because if I, if I put them into a sawdust pit, there's all sorts of issues with it. I mean, somebody pulls one out and they let the air get into the roots of the one next to it. Yeah. You know, all that sort of thing happens. Um, and I know that if I re-bare-root something for somebody because they can't take the pot home, uh, even within a matter of a couple of weeks after potting them up, they'll already have new fibre roots starting to form and that's in the middle of winter mm. uh, so it doesn't take terribly long for them to start producing new root system mm. uh, and of course from my perspective once they're in those pots um, if I don't re-bear root them well then they're ready for the rest of the year in the pot and it is so much easier to plant something out of a pot than it is as a bare rooted plant people seem not to have the knack of how to plant bare rooted things well and you only need one air pocket under the root system of something where you haven't got good soil contact mm. and you can lose the tree yep. so it's not always good economy to buy bare rooted yep yep mm. let's go with uh, another plant well i bought along a fern And this is the shuttlecock fern, or the ostrich plume fern, that comes from Europe. Uh, And it's a herbaceous perennial fern, so it dies down in the winter. Before it dies down, it goes a really pretty copper colour. You know, that lovely uh, uh, sort of colour that only ferns seem to manage. (laughs) Um, So it goes this lovely coppery colour. And then in the spring, you get these amazing shuttlecocks that erupt out of the the ground in a really lively shade of green. Um, And it wafts through a garden bed or through a pot. So if you've got a a nice, damp, semi-shaded area, you end up with a drift of shuttlecocks wandering through. And it'd be a great combination with the hostas and mm. all those sorts of other shade-loving plants. And I've been selling a lot of this in the last year or two because it's also edible. So for those of you out there that are into weird edibles, and it amazes me how many people are, uh, I regularly get people in the nursery, if I can say you can eat something, uh, that makes a huge difference um, to its saleability with a lot of people, even if it's tenuously edible. That's interesting. You know, it's just amazing. I get them all the time. I had a guy in yesterday who bought $230 worth of oxaluses because he's now growing the flowers and the foliage for mixed salads. Um, selling them to the upmarket restaurants and he wants to have forms, colours and things that nobody else has got to put into his mixes Mm -hmm. to make them unique 
to everybody else's mixes right. uh, and to keep You have a whole new market for us, Alice. Oh, and I don't know what's going on because on wow. Tuesday when oh, I was away, it's, it's fantastic. I'm so pleased. Um, <laughs> when I was away uh, in Bright on Tuesday, I went up to Bright to do some talks for the Bright Garden Club. Uh, my dear friend Vanessa that runs the nursery for me regularly when I'm away, she sold three trays of oxalis to one person. And it wasn't the same person that came in again yesterday to buy them from me. Okay. And so I think he's probably doing the same thing. I think mm-hmm. there's a few people out there that have got onto this lurk. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, did you know that the Japanese use Japanese maple leaves in cooking? Ooh. I only found that out yesterday. They, they do they them in them? tempura. I didn't okay. know that. And this guy who bought my oxalises yesterday is coming back next weekend to get some interesting leaf forms of Japanese maple <laughs> that he can sell to his oh. Japanese restaurant trade. Mm. I wouldn't have even thought about something so like Pelmartin? that. So Palmartin? Yeah, Palmartin forms. Yeah. Um, and I don't imagine it would matter which ones you, you use. because. And I would presume pick... Young leaves. Yeah, I would imagine youngish leaves. Not going to do the plants much good, is it? He's not growing them for that. He wants to eat them, Lucille. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure his plants won't have the natural grace that you can expect of a Japanese maple necessarily. But yeah, so the shuttlecock fern, uh, Matukia struthi oteris, teris meaning wings, and lots of ferns have teris in their names because they have feather-like or wing-like foliage. Um, You can use the young croziers. Uh, and I believe you steam them like you do asparagus, but I've not tried it, and I haven't made any real research, so somebody else can do that. Yep. Um, and I sold a batch of these to a grower up in Sylvan last year who was growing them for the the restaurant trade uh, mm. and probably getting a huge price for them as little, oh, yes. little crows. <laughs> probably charge but a But far more than I'm getting for the plant, probably. <laughs> <laughs> So, but I think the shuttlecock fern is lovely. It would be quite happy um, uh, in a large pot sitting in a saucer of water for the summer, um, in a shady spot in the garden. And it's just such a lovely eye-aching shade of green. Mm. Um, uh, and I do love the, the textural quality of ferns. I think we underrate them. I think they're yeah. lovely plants. Oh, yes. Um, and Stephen, I don't Stephen, what is eye-aching? <laughs> it's that acidy green. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Limish green. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but so they always make a garden look Cool and lush. Yes. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yes, I think ferns do. are lovely. Not yes. all of them are particularly water hungry. So, so your eyes don't ache, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for goodness sake, Graham. I make a comment. He's got to pull me up on it. I don't know. Um, I think it's a really vibrant shade. So it's like those psychedelic clothes we used to wear in the 60s. <laughs> it sits you back on your heels when you see it. So... So there you go. So Matukia struthioides, the shuttlecock or uh, ostrich plume fern from Europe. And I imported it years ago. I got it from Christopher Lloyd's garden in England um, and bought it through quarantine donkeys years ago. Mm. Uh, And ferns were not one of those things I necessarily wanted to go into in a big way. But we didn't see a lot of herbaceous ferns here. We tended to only Mm. have evergreen ones. That's right. And I just love the cleanness of them in the spring mm. oh, when they come yes. up. So I thought it was a, a worthy import. At the time, I had no idea it was also edible. So there you go. So I found a new market, even though I wasn't expecting one. Okay, let's go to our first caller. We have uh, Bernie out in Langwarren. Good morning, Bernie. <coughs> Good morning to you all. Um, yes, a question, please. Clivia or Clivia. Yeah. Um, their leaves are sh- absolutely shocking at the moment. They're all sort of yellowing and... Oh, mm, probably frost. Yes. Mine look like that. 
Uh, and it was the frost this winter because we got extra heavy frosts. And so I've got these lovely orange flowers with these sort of pasty-looking leaves, which is an, inter- leaves. Yes, a, an interesting combination. Um, there's not a lot you can do about it. Uh, it will send up new leaves in due course, and you can clean out the dross at some stage or another and tidy them up. But I would feel fairly confident it was our cold winter that did it to the Cliveas this year. It certainly was in my soil, garden. Pardon? I'm in sandy soil, so it wouldn't be there? No. Nah. No, no. Clivias are incredibly drought tolerant, so a sandy mm. soil won't worry them. Uh, in fact, they'll just delve their roots even further down. Um, and because it's the time of the year that you're noticing this issue, I'm sure it's been the winter cold. Okay. Now, would it be better to lift them and put them in a pot? No, no. Leave them alone. No, leave them alone. Uh, the only issue might be is if it's going to be an issue on a regular basis, you could actually put some in pots that you can put away for the winter in somewhere really sheltered so that the frost can't get at them, mm. you know, under a veranda or something Except, like that. Except, Bernie, this year... I've had the worst frost in 15 years, so mm. I suspect it won't happen as bad again. No, well, mine are certainly worse this year than they've ever been before. And, I mean, we get burn on, on Cliveas fairly regularly up at Macedon because we are borderline for them. And I do keep mine in as sheltered a spot as I can find. Mm. Uh, and my exceedingly expensive green-flowered one got badly bitten this Ooh, year, although it's, yeah. it's, it'll survive. It'll come back. It'll be fine. Um, but I bought some new ones. We had the expert on the genus talking for our garden oh, club yes, but wonderful yes a month very or so back very interesting chap and i found myself putting three new ones in the car um <laughs> that i wasn't expecting to do uh but i've put them in pots and i've got them sitting up on the veranda and they've come through without even blinking so mm. i might actually keep some of them as pot plants for the veranda and bernie could perhaps try giving them a feed yeah it wouldn't hurt to feed them yeah. now yeah as We're the weather warms up you can use whatever you like, Bernie. Uh, remember that fertiliser is like food for your plants. In fact, it is food for your plants. And your plants are like you. They don't necessarily want the same thing every time. So mix it up a bit. You know, give them a liquid feed, perhaps with some Charlie carp or one of those sort of feeds. And then you might put down some animal manure. You might, you know, uh, just mix it up a bit. And don't overfeed them. You don't want them to get fat. Yes, well, <laughs> I don't mind Clivey's being fat. I just no. don't want them to stop flowering. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't uh, want it all going into the green leaf production. Yeah, yeah. And look, no. when they're healthy and looking fine, that's the time you don't bother feeding them. Yeah. Okay, thank you. There's just one more question quickly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Polygala, always in flower. Mm-hmm. Um, should I uh, trim it, um, what, three, six inches? Uh, about, they... Um, can get a bit leggy. They can get leggy in time. And because they do virtually flower year-round, you've just got to bite the bullet and trim them back every so often. And actually, now would be a good time to do it because they'll start to shoot away again very quickly afterwards and go settle back into flowering again fairly quickly. So you won't, in fact, be without them for terribly long. But they will get leggy and spindly in time, although some of the dwarfer new cultivars out there actually do seem to keep their looks reasonably well. But the older forms certainly get leggy. How hard would you cut it back? A quarter. A quarter? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So a quarter off? Yep. Okay, well, thanks very much for your time, and it's always a good show. Okay, thanks, Bernie. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Right, next up we're going to uh, Carol in East Bentley. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. I wanted to ask about, um, well, Graham would probably be the one. Uh, Rose is growing on an arch. The possums attack them. I've tried everything. So what we did is we put wire over them, chicken wire. And I'm starting to notice a few little yellow leaves. And I thought, I heard something about they've got to have air. 
Yes, well, air's necessary circulation to reduce uh, fungal attack. What is the rose? Crepsical on one side and little pinky on the other. Yeah, they get very thick in in the foliage, don't they? Yeah, there's absolute the possums absolutely decimated them. Yes, yes. Well, um, the the only thing you really could do is 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 trim them back if you can, and then use some liquid seaweed on them. I've done that. Right. I've done that, and, and they're looking really healthy. But yeah, yeah. So, so I could still leave the wire on it because it's going to take us forever to get it off. Yeah. The, the wire, the wire won't stop air getting through. Yeah, the chicken wire no. should be. I suspect. Be I suspect the wire is coming up over the the leaves, and it's compacting things. Yes. Uh, the, so you can prevent the possums from getting into them. Mm. Yes. So, I mean, what you might need to do is work out a way of pruning through the wire mm. so that you can. You don't want it too thick so that the air can't get through mm. the plants. I, I'd suggest you need to look at look at the the, um, the possibility of reducing possums in your garden. There are now. There's been a, quite a bit of research done with um, sound, um, uh, electric sound systems. Um, and I, I would... What, a heavy metal band or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd do it. <laughs> what um, <laughs> And they've been using similar sort of things with, with keeping dogs within a confined area. So I, I would tend to, to uh, look up or get someone to look up on the net for you and, and find out what the, some of the latest developments are with reducing possums because if, if you don't do something about them, you're always going to have this sort of challenge in your garden. Mm. My the brother. problem is, Graham, yes. that all around us, they've knocked down houses yeah. and put two yeah. up and all these beautiful trees. Like, I didn't get any olives because the possums, and they never used to go up that mm. side of the mm. backyard, yes. and they just knocked them all off. And they even went into a kumquat tree, which they yeah. n- never... You know, touch mm. before. The other thing to look at also in your garden, Carol, is access. I mean, the possums have to be able to, to access those plants. Mm. If there's any way of actually, um, you know, inhibiting their, their access, like if they're coming in along a fence mm. or if they're swinging, you know, if they're jumping from one tree to another, um, if you can cut back any overhang over your, your roses, but, but do have a look at access and look at the way they're actually getting to it. Well, you see, a lot of them live on the front tree, the street tree. Yep. They jump onto my high brick fence yep. and then they jump on, uh, scuttle up the carport and then onto the roses that way yep. on the trellis because that's leaning there. So we tried to push the, the um, trellis over and um, it's, uh, yeah, they're a devil. Can I ask another question? Sure. Peace lily. I bought a peace lily and I didn't know how to repot it and I googled it and they said that you um, use peat moss and uh, good potting soil and I didn't know how you, you do the peat moss so I did a layer of each and I've just noticed a little yellow leaf. I might have over watered. If you've but got peat moss, right if you've got peat moss in that pot, it would be very easy to overwater because it holds huge amounts of water. It holds about three times its own weight in water. Uh, I would be repotting it again and taking that peat out because although the peace lilies like moisture, they don't like wet feet. Um, and I would just use a good quality potting mix. I wouldn't mm. be using the peat. 
Oh, I can do that. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, so I think that would be the safer thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, I always remember way, way back, because I'm getting old now, uh, when, not. <laughs> when Alan Seal used to be on the television and he used to advertise a certain brand of cat food and he said it was, you know, sort of, I, I wouldn't forget to give um, Moggy her daily food like I would water my peace lily every day. And I thought, no, you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was one of those sort of inappropriate appropriate comments made on television that used to rankle me and I'm sure Alan was rankled by it as well but he was probably paid a fortune to to <laughs> advertise this cat food uh, with his funny lithby ethers. Um, yeah, and uh, of all the plants you could have said that needs its daily watering, it probably wasn't one of them. <laughs> Oh, right. Well, I will do that. Yeah, I I would take it out of the pot. I don't know why anybody would suggest you use peat moss. I mean, a little bit of peat moss through a potting mix can often Mm. be quite a useful thing. And, you know, a lot of nurseries in Europe used to use almost straight peat as potting mixes at one stage. But then you did have to understand how to water when you used peat because of the the high water condition. Also, peat is not a good thing to actually be buying. No. Because it's not... it's, It's... it's not, not a sustainable. Mm. No. Yes, I use it in very, 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 very tiny quantities to raise some things like rhododendrons from seed because mm-hmm. uh, it's about the only way you can get them to grow and, and like plants. So yeah. I, I buy one bag of peat moss that lasts me about five years yeah. um, and that's all I ever buy it for. I used to use it in propagating mixes. I now use a straight um, perlite mix. I don't bother with peat moss anymore. Carol, the, the one other thing, my brother had a magnolia which never ever 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 flowered and the last two years he's got it to flower and the reason he's got it to flower is because he's been feeding his possums on the roof and they have just by the magnolia and they haven't touched the magnolia they much prefer the bits what and bits. What do they like? Do they like apples? And yeah. They love apples, yeah, love apples. they'll apples. eat bread, they'll eat They'll eat almost anything, including your roses. <laughs> I'll try that. Yeah, I'm maybe thinking... if you feed them a bit, you might you might discourage them. Although I wonder whether they don't bring their family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it's a bush rat or whether it's a possum, but something has eaten all my beetroot. Oh. The the actual beets, the things yeah. that I go to pick wow. to put in the oven. Good heavens! Sounds like a rat. Oh, yeah. Oh, isn't that sad? A dirty rat at that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. One that so has um, bright red through its system now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 It'll probably have a shock when it goes to the toilet next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Carol. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, let me see. We have... Uh, Sue up in uh, Narriwarren North. Good morning, Sue. Oh, hi, everybody. Um, now, Graham, I, I was watching an episode of Gardening Australia a couple of weeks ago, and this man in Queensland was spraying his roses every 10 days, and yes. I know you've got a recipe right. for a rose spray. Now, can you tell me what it is? Um, yes, Sue. Uh, you use a quarter of a cup of liquid seaweed. Liquid seaweed? Yes. yes. And a quarter, a quarter of a cup of uh, eco oil. Eco oil. Yes, and yep. uh, mix them in together. Yep. Uh, and that that's to ten liters of water. Yeah, is, there's nothing else in that. No. He's, he uses potassium carbonate, which is bicarbonate. Yes. Well, um, if you if you're working on fungus, um, you you would best use um, eco rose. Eco rose. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, I'd be cautious about um, 
using anything other than eco-rose because it's formulated specifically for black spot and mildew. Yeah, that's what I'm... I'm because I thought I'd be really diligent this year because, yeah. like, I mean, I've got aphids, which I hosed off the other day, but, you know, I want to sort of see if I can keep on the black spot yeah. uh, this year. Well, it's, it's a quarter of a cup of everything to 10 litres of water. And uh, uh, eco-rose, is that like a... Uh, Available widely? Yeah. Yes, you can get it at, at most nurseries now. Oh, can you? Oh, yes. okay then. And Sue, the other thing I do is use milk. Yeah. I uh, mean, that that does the same. It changes the pH, which is what you need to do yeah, for fungal um, problems. You've got to use full cream, don't you? I, well, I don't. Well, I wouldn't use soy. <laughs> no, no. I I, Sue, I don't, and it still works. And, and how much do you use? Uh, I, I, I don't know. One I, part to ten. Yes, one part one to, to ten. ten. But I, oh. I, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, a slurp exactly. is the technical term. <laughs> yeah, okay. And sometimes if I've got a bit of yoghurt that's gone off, I'll mix it down and put it over the roses. Oh, I figure I it must do the same thing. Oh, okay. I might do that today because I think there's some yoghurt ready to throw out. I might do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See how it goes. Now, I've got another question. It's to do with my daughter's garden. She's got a bed at the front of her house which faces north, so it's against the window, but at two ends she's got room for a taller shrub. And she's thinking uh, of, of a dwarf lemon and some other dwarf citrus. Now, would that be too hot against the bricks? Or? It shouldn't be, not for citrus. Citrus um, like the warmth. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah there is a... Um, in the front yard, there is an ornamental pear that had shaded a bit in the hot summer. But Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't hesitate. If that's what she wants, um, why not? Yeah. The, on, the only thing would be to remember that when those north winds get up, it's going to dry out, and over the first summer, she'll really need to be careful to water them um, on those days. Her mother might have to go around there. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's plan B. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. Yep. Uh, yeah, OK, well, thanks for all that help. OK, then. Bye. Bye. Yes, you, everybody needs a lemon tree. How do you have a gin and tonic otherwise? <laughs> well, I've just planted um, one of those Thai ones mm. because the leaf, I think, in gin and tonic is absolutely divine. Mm. Mm. The kaffir lime, I, I think that's yeah. a lovely thing in, okay. a, in a gin and tonic. And I only drink gin and tonic for a, a little bit, so I might as well have a top flavour. Absolutely. And I hope you buy good gin then. <laughs> yes. Always. Always, yes. yes. <laughs> and gin has become so extraordinary. Last year yes, I bought an has. amazing gin in England that had rhubarb in it, it had in its flavours, mm. and it was just beautiful. And now, I mean, Hillsville's got a gin palace. There's, there's people this doing gin. one in Kainton. Yeah, Kainton's yeah, got a really good yeah, one, and yeah. they do all sorts of weird botanicals oh. in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gin. and it's really beautiful, yeah. too. Yeah, we had them at our Christmas party for the Horticultural yes. Society, and they did a gin tasting. Now, there's a very horticultural thing to do. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Everybody had a great time. But they certainly did. Yes. Well, remember Jim's trip uh, over to the UK next year with ASA. Yeah. They're actually visiting and learning all about the botanicals they're putting into one of the gin distillery mm. houses. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I love the way horticulture is going. <laughs> <laughs> so ca- a cassia lime, I think, is always a good thing. Mm. Well, yes, all my citrus trees are looking a bit frowsy, I have to say, coming through the winter, more so than they normally do. My cassia lime, I'm going to have to prune back because it's got a lot of dead stuff on the top of it that the frosts have taken out. Uh, the tree will be fine, though. I mean, mm. it's not.
not it's not a big deal. But are, are you waiting to to trim that back till? Uh, well, I could probably could probably do it now. Although we can always get a late frost, I yeah. guess. So you've got to keep that in mind. Mm. But I I have started in one corner of the garden cutting back frosted stuff. I started last week. Mm. I'll probably do some more this week. I'm just working my way gently through the garden, um, doing everything as I go. So the citrus trees will probably end up at about the end of the list. So they'll get done probably. I suppose mid-next month by the time I get round to dealing and with see, them. And see, I lost my heliotropes, all sorts of things. Mm. Oh, yes. But They're my citrus sensitive. completely untouched. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and mine's been in the ground for years. I mean, my kaffir lime tree's probably... Well, actually, it needs cutting back anyway because it's getting too damn big. Um, it's probably three metres tall, mm. but it's still got burnt on the top. So mm. so there you go. So, um, And my younger citrus trees got knocked about rather badly. But funnily enough, the kaffir lime got really badly burnt. The... Naval orange didn't even blink. Mm, mm. <laughs> so it's odd. I don't know. Maybe aspect. Yes. Uh, could be cultivar. I don't know. Yep. Okay. Let's get oh. to another plant. All right. Well, I brought along something that is a little bit obscure. Uh, many people are familiar with um, cherry laurels. They use them for hedges and what's, uh, what's, what not, particularly up in the hills. There's lots in the Dandenongs. There's lots up at Mount Macedon. And they make a big, big plant. Uh, but over the years, of course, different cultivars have arisen from the cherry laurel, particularly in Europe. Uh, and this one is a dwarf cherry laurel uh, called Otto Lichen. And Otto Lichen makes a shrub about a metre to a metre and a half tall by about two metres wide, maybe even a little wider. And its branches come out in a semi-horizontal direction. Mm. The leaves tend to sit up off the branches a little bit, so they have a different angle. And then the spikes of white flowers sit fairly vertically. And so... Texturally, I don't know another plant that looks anything like it. It's a completely unique shrub. Um, like its ordinary forms, it's reasonably hardy. I mean, it won't cope with howling northwesterlies and completely dry soil in um, suburban Melbourne, maybe. But certainly around Mount Macedon and cooler areas, you never have to water it, care for it, do anything with it. It'll just do its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure it would be quite growable around suburbia with a little bit of summer irrigation, particularly in a hot year or as a young plant. But even then, once it gets going, it's a reasonably reasonably hardy shrub. Uh, I'd better spell Otto Lichen because it's a rather, well, Otto's easy because it's O-double-T-O, but Lichen is L-U-Y-K-E-N. So it obviously was found in Holland or Germany or somewhere like that, named after the person who discovered this semi-dwarf cultivar. And I think it's a charming shrub. The leaves are a really glossy dark green. The flowers are a pristine clean white. And the form and texture of the plant is, I think, quite remarkable. And I think it's a great little shrub. And... uh, Hopefully more people would use it as a tall ground cover shrub or something like that. Mm. Certainly in Europe you'll often see it in parks and gardens where they've used it underneath large trees where they've got all this bare ground and they just plant great drifts of it uh, and it just sort of fills up the understory and Mm. very useful for that. So it's actually Prunus lorosaracis. Otto lichen, which is a bit of a mouthful, but there you go. Complete mouthful. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, I haven't seen it fruit, but the normal form gets blackberries, and I'm not sure whether Otto lichen is actually a sterile clone or not. So I haven't found that well, out Well, let's yet. hope it is. Well, it probably is a good thing mm. if it is, because mm. uh, the normal form does self-seed itself a bit. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yes, if it doesn't produce seed, all the better. Okay. Now, you've had a query from the outside line, I think. Well, no, Sue rang in saying for some reason she couldn't get on to um, the line. Who knows why? And she said the people on the Cottage Garden website have found that hanging Christmas lights, which you can also get solar ones, if you hang them over the arbour, 
that that will actually really help to deter the possums. They don't like the light. So it's just mm. a suggestion okay. that, that maybe, as well as feeding your possums on the roof, maybe you should hang Christmas lights through the rows. <laughs> I'm not sure about the aesthetics of the whole thing, but anyhow. <laughs> and you won't trip over when you're walking through the arbour in the middle of the night if you forget to take your torch out either. I suppose. <laughs> okay. Um, Lucille, let's get back to the plant sale. Yes. Um, tell us about some of the plants that you've been propagating, especially for the sale. Uh, what, me personally or the group? Well, the, you know, the, the, group, well, the perennials. Well, the, well it, we have various sections, of course, and each section does its own um, propagating and yes. so on, as well as the gardens also do propagating for us. We often go with the garden staff uh, to take um, cuttings from the gardens or else they bring in divisions for us Okay. and then we grow them on. So, yes, there are... Um, native plants that the native plant section will go out and and, uh, propagate or take and propagate Uh, with uh, my section the perennials we often get divisions brought into us depending on what it is of course and cuttings we we do a lot of our own cuttings for the for uh, perennials and others would do it Two, uh, each section does its own or gets help from the garden staff who do it for us because they've got all the uh, heated hothouses and so on to help raise these plants. So it's a, a combination uh, of uh, methods that we use. But yes, the garden staff, we couldn't do without them. Mm. Uh, they not only help us with getting plants from the gardens to propagate, but they also are of enormous help to us we can ask them for certain divisions, uh, depending on what it is. And, of course, they work with us uh, to set up the plant sale, which we'll be doing on this Friday. But, uh, Lucille, you must have a plant that you're really pleased with this year or something special that you, you're, you're happy about or, or uh, some interesting perennial that people perhaps don't know terribly well. There's got to be something ooh, that stood out this nah, year. Now you're sure. testing me. Yeah. Well, for instance, now, Wendy looks after the hostas and the epimediums and we've been doing quite a lot of work, or she's been doing a lot of work, propagating some interesting hostas and mm. epimediums. Yeah, well, they're both beautiful shade-loving perennials. Yes, they are. Mm. And so we will certainly have some of those for sale. In fact, her hostas are leaping out of the ground. Oh, they would be at the moment. Yes, yeah, yes. and just looking gorgeous. And the epimediums should be pretty well in yes, flower. Yes, ab- absolutely. Because yeah, yes. I've got a lot of them in flower at the moment. My, yeah. my Darth Vader flowered, uh, Ooh, started flowering well, the other that, day. That's one we certainly don't have yet. I bought it because of the name. <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, it's a huge epimedium, it's about, is it? Oh, it must be sort of two feet or is more Is it one tall. of the grandiflorus? Uh, no, it's a... Um, or a different one? It's, well, I don't even know what it's from, actually, to mm-hmm. be honest, but it has spurs that are sort of chocolatey burgundy yes. with white petals behind Ooh. and huge big leaves that are a really dark, coppery colour when they first oh, come out. Lovely. And, and it's yeah. this huge big clump, and I bought it for its name, and I'm quite pleased I bought it. Yeah. I think I got it from one of the growers up in New South Wales. Right. But I don't know whether it's an Australian selection that's been named Darth Vader or whether it's a, an American selection or whatever. Yes. I don't know what its background is. I must mm. do some research. But it's a very handsome yes. medium. Now, yeah. why on earth do you think it got that name? 
because it's got this sort of metallic sort of look about it. Okay. And I can sort of see, you know, if you have a vision of Darth Vader with his black mask yes, and yes. looking all shiny and yep. metallic, um, <laughs> there is a certain something about this <laughs> epimedium that takes you in that direction okay. if you've got that sort of mindset. So it's more a metallic look. It's not that it's going to have black flowers. or No, like, no although the flowers yeah. are dark. The spurs are a dark sort of chocolatey, yes, burgundy need to color. Be dark. Yeah. Yes, and, and certainly the leaves look like sort of dark, coppery color. Shield. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I can sort of see it. It hasn't got a, one of those those laser. It hasn't things. got a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's a great yeah. epimedium. But I love yeah. them. I think they're great. Oh, but they, they are. Mm. They're lovely. Uh, and they're, as you say, great uh, shade lovers. Very mm. good in um, more shaded areas. As indeed are the. Uh, what else? What did I mention before that? Oh, the hostas. Uh, the hostas. Yes. And of course, they need to be kept. Um, uh, prote- well protected from slugs and snails but yes we'll also we're growing some interesting virginias uh, which are another interesting plant that can grow in shade and mm. sun nice uh, foliage plants and yes yeah. Yes, but some very interesting um, new varieties coming in which we're going to get on to propagating and raising to sell to our customers too uh, I look after the salvias, so we'll, we'll have an interesting selection of those. Uh, because it's been so cold, the cuttings really haven't got underway yet. Uh, so it's uh, basically what has come on from last autumn. Uh, but there'll be loads of interesting uh, things to grow. I know we have also in our section some dianthus, uh, some grasses, we don't grow many grasses. They're, they're quite strict with us as to what we can grow, but we, we certainly have the um, miscanthus. Well, uh, miscanthus are always useful. Grasses. Yes, they nice are. Nice verticality. Carl Forster and Overdam as and well are mm. the two cultivars that we grow. So they'll be right uh, there too. And, of course, I find that we can always happily sell to people the arthropodiums which I find extremely good value. Yes, and even, even though they are frost tender, if you grow them, and they're remarkably tough, if you grow them in, in um, root uh, congested areas, and of course that's what they need if you grow them up Stevens and My Way because of the frost. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. they turn to jelly if you don't have them in enough shelter. But That's they, right. They are well, a really good plant for suburban gardens. Well, they are. And remarkable that they can grow in so many conditions, whether it's sun or shade, and they can certainly take that root competition as well mm. and look so pretty when they come into flower shortly. Mm. So there's lots of variety there that we'll have. Fantastic. Next weekend. Fantastic. Graham, have you are you now in the process of potting potting up all the bare rooted roses? Um, no, we're still potting up again. Yeah. And uh, we found that with roses, if you cut them back to uh, even um, in the old language, a couple of inches from the stock, they'll then force up and get going and and and, and um, come up with new shoots, of course, yep. which are. Which are commonly known as water shoots, and and you'll get a lot more flowering. So they're time to be out in in December. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm. Excellent. They're very versatile. Yep. Yes, <laughs> as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't kill those things. <laughs> no, 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 no. Virginia, you want to talk about one particular plant? I do. Um, but before I do, can I say somebody else rang in to suggest that if you put shook poo. In a sock or stocking, yes. and hang that from your the plant you're trying to protect, 
protect from possums. They really don't like I've got another one. Eddie used dog hair. Yes. Yes, I've heard that before. In a piece of stocking. He went to the local dog groomers and got a whole pile of dog hair, put them in in bits of old stocking. Goodness knows how he ended up with a whole pile of old stockings. But anyhow, (laughs) question best not asked. Uh, And and, and tied them through some of the trees that he was having trouble with um, possums eating. And it seemed to have an impact. Well, it's the smell would drive them away. It drives me away when you've got a wet dog. Oh, yes. So the plant that I was going to suggest we talk about is isoplexus. It is um, a very soft orange flower. It's, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's um, probably shoulder height. Yeah, it'd be nearly get up to two metres. Yeah. It'd be a metre and a half to two metres most of the isoplexus. I think they're really beautiful. They had their, had a name change, which yes. is rather unfortunate, because last year we suddenly saw digiplexus appear on the market, which was a cross between isoplexus and the foxglove. Well, it fits in with the digital era, doesn't it? <laughs> 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 uh, it's right. worse than me, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> However, I think digiplexus and isoplexus have all disappeared, and they've all been re- renamed digitalis. Yes, They've all been sunk in with digitalis, which in a sense is unfortunate. But the only reason that isoplexus was separated from digitalis in the first place is that they were somewhat woody Mm. and the true digitaluses weren't. Mm. And that was the only real thing that kept them separated. Their floral parts and everything were basically the same. And, of course, that sort of thing doesn't stack up in plant names, unfortunately. Mm. So, yes, and, of course, as soon as you cross two plants from different genera, there's always a suspicion that they might actually be more closely related than you originally thought, and you need to rethink. (laughs) I have to say the digiplexus, which appeared in Europe, oh, some five years ago or something, the digiplexus are absolutely divine. Mm. Beautiful plants. How we're going to find them, I don't know, because they're just going to be called digitalis, and you have to know whether it's one that... Because the thing with the isoplexus is it's a perennial. This one that I have here has been in my garden in the same place for five years. Mm. I have to say, Stephen, one of my problems with the isoplexus is I haven't worked out how to prune them well. Yeah, they, they mm. can be a bit risky. You've got to be really careful how you prune them. You certainly don't want to go back into really old wood. Mm. Um, I think they're one of those plants that you've got to allow them to sort of, apart from taking dead flower spikes and things out, I think you've just got to allow them to slowly become woody. They're not going to be something that's long, long term okay. because if you prune them too hard, you're going to probably have dead patches in them or kill them outright. Mm. I found the ones that I pruned, I ended up taking them out the next year because they really looked horrible. Yeah, so mm. I think you just have to get used to the idea of it becoming a sort of a, a, a shrub with a sort of vacant inside mm. uh, with everything sort of on the outside and just allow it to keep going until it gets to such a stage that it starts to collapse of its own accord and you start some young ones. Yes, like well, well, they are easy to propagate, which mm. means that, you know, it's quite reasonable to, to do Yeah, I, well, you do the same with echiums to an extent. Mm. You, you sort of enjoy them for a few years and then they get woody and awful and you whip them out and start off some fresh ones. Mm. So, so you could talk about the same world or same concept with lavender. Mm. Right, and mm, we yes. we get people with lavender hedges that come into the nursery and say, "Oh, it's got all leggy and it's got all terribly high, and mm. I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to cut it out." Mm. Um, and um, so the best time to prune lavenders after they finish flowering. 
Yeah, and yeah. and lavender needs to be done regularly every year. Yes. Uh, people yes. allow their lavender to get woody, mm. and then it doesn't really respond to hard pruning. Mm. That's right. Uh, and you may even find with the isoplexus, it might be the same thing. If you start off with a really young one and keep nipping it while it's young mm. uh, and create that sort of compact bushiness with it, um, then you might not have the same problems you mm. do have as they get older and start to... I mean, even though they become bare inside, they until they start to collapse and fall apart, they're still actually quite an elegant plant. So it mm. doesn't sort of worry me. Um, but I find them borderline hardy. I don't find they grow Do well you? up our way. Yeah, the cold knocks them about. I've, I've tried been... a couple of different isoplexus and well, they haven't a... lasted. There is only two. Mm. And I've well, I've got... tried both, Isabelliana or whatever it is, and... What's the, Canariensis. Canariensis, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they are, they're, they're most beautiful colours. They're a really interesting shade that you don't see in flowers very often. Um, Pam, I thought I might mention to people about lavender because we, we get asked questions at the nursery and people love lavender um, hedges, sure. along usually with their roses. Lavender yep. sachets, they yes. love all those things. <laughs> and so relaxing, it's, it's perfume. Um, there are a series now of lavenders released that are Australian bred. Yep. And um, now um, I know that they're they're available through Mitre 10. Mm. However, the information that they provided for, for out in the community hasn't given an indication of what heights they will get. So if people buy these newer lavenders, they need to check on the label how high they will get. Mm. And that, I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with lavenders, you have to prune them every year. Because yeah. if you, you prune, really do, if you yeah. prune back into the old wood, Yes. It's hopeless. Yeah, they, yes. you're better just to pull them straight out. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm. Yep. Okay. Stephen, we've still got a couple of plants that you haven't seen. All right. Well, um, I brought along an asarum. Now, the asarums are known colloquially in Europe as wild ginger, which is unfortunate because <laughs> they, don't look unfortunate. Like, they don't look like ginger lilies. They've, they've, no. they've got no, no relationship with them whatsoever. In fact, they're closely related to the aspidestras of all things. Oh, really? um, and they're woodland plants. And if you pull one out or dig one up and divide it, the roots do smell of ginger. So that's where the oh, okay. wild ginger mm. name comes from. And they're apparently used in Chinese medicine. Um, a lot of plants that have very strong scents and things are often used in, in those sorts of herbal remedies and stuff. And this is one of the herbaceous ones, uh, Asarum uh, corlescens. And they're basically foliage plants. They have really pretty uh, heart-shaped leaves, lovely veining, really attractive foliage. The flowers are small and they tend to hide under the leaves. And in the case of this one, its flowers are sort of a... Uh, an interesting chestnutty pink with a white centre and chestnut coloured stripes inside so it's a bit hard to describe but it's a, a funny little rounded flower and the flowers are one of those things that you have to go hunting for so they don't make any visual the impact in the garden is, is effectively invisible yeah well it is some <laughs> of them have really big flowers but they're still under the foliage there's one called uh, maxima which gets a flower that would be in the oh, old wow. measurements three yes. inches or so across mm. it has a pure white centre and the petals are black and they're, and they're ribbed and, and wavy. It's like some sort of weird starfish or something from under the ocean. It's the most amazing flower, mm. but they hide. Okay. Well, it's, as you say, it's, it, if it's related to the, what did you say? No, the aspidestra. Aspidestras. Mm. Well, that you can understand because I've seen aspidestra flowers. Yeah, and they sort of hit. Pollinated they, by slugs, which yeah. I think is fascinating. But they mm. are like those star-shaped flowers you've been describing. Yeah. And they're very low to the ground. Yeah, yeah. and well. I would I so would be surprised if the pollinators of these aren't some sort of little yes. creepy crawly that well, goes along the ground. Be, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're great foliage plants, and mm. there's some that are evergreen, some that are herbaceous. This is one of the herbaceous ones, and of course herbaceous perennials.
apples when they come up in the spring always look so fresh yes. and, and yummy. Yeah. And so I think that they're very pretty little plants, albeit their flowers are rather on the small side. Uh, Do they spread much, Stephen? This one will make a clump probably about half a metre. Okay. Uh, some of them just make quite tight clumps. Yep, yep. Others will become running ground covers. I've got yep. one... Um, uh, Cordata, which has long starfish-like flowers that are green, um, and I've got a, an area of it in the garden at home that must be it sort of wafted its way along the front of a border, and it must be nine or ten feet along now. Wow. Uh, but they're very controllable too because yeah. they run across the surface, so you yes. just whack a spade through them if mm. they come out over mm. the path or wherever. Um, but they do like the shade, and most of them need a little bit of summer ir- irrigation to keep them happy. They won't tolerate really dry conditions. Mm. And some of them actually are probably quite delicate plants that you'd probably need to grow in pots. Mm. But I think the sarums are lovely, and uh, I'm very fond of the strange little flowers they get. <laughs> They are unusual. Mm. Very unusual. I have a question for you, Stephen. Yes. Do you grow Cleanthus? No, but I should be. Uh, it's the New Zealand Kakabeek bush, and it looks like a Sturt's Desert pea. In fact, they were both in the same genus at one stage, uh, and uh, the Sturt's Desert pea was Cleanthus as well, but it's now uh, Swansonia, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this one's kept Cleanthus as its name, and it's a sort of a, an arching shrub. I've seen it grown up a wall as a, a, an espalier. It can look very good Ooh. grown that way. Uh, and you Ooh, get the normal wild form is a sort of a cherry red, this is another one that is very threatened in the wild. Yes, it's okay. quite rare, quite I, rare. I've got three of them in my garden. I have to say they're very threatened in their in their initial stages because I've never seen anything attacked by slugs and snails. Oh, God, yes, yes. They, they love them. them. And I'm, I have mine surrounded by um, broken up shells, yeah. eggshells. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so you can get this lovely cherry one. There is a clear mid-pink. And there is a beautiful white one. Yeah. Uh, so there are three colours in it, and they are great plants, and Virginia is going to collect the seed off hers for me, and I'm going to grow them. <laughs> well, George Simler, came, who's Ferny, one of the Fernie Creek stalwarts, yes. came over the other day, and he saw, when he was down at Broughton Hall, he saw a yellow one, which I'd never heard of. Yellow? A yellow Cleanthus, and he's got the seeds of that. Mm. I've never heard of it in yellow. I've no. always known of the white, pink and red, but I've certainly not come across a yellow. And there's a lot of them in the botanic gardens and they've just come out into flower. So if anyone wants to have a look at a Cleanthus, that's mm. a place to go. We have tried growing them before. We haven't had them for a long time, so maybe we should be. You should, yes, because they you grow should. from yeah. seed very easily. Yeah, they're easy to germinate. You've just got to virtually stand over them the whole time to beat the slugs and snails back with a stink. (laughs) (laughs) I adore them. And if any of our listeners have got seed of the white later when they come into seed this year, please send us some because Mm. I know they're keen to get the white in the botanic garden as well. Mm. It is. It's a lovely plant. And it's out there. I've seen the white. And I'm I'm very keen to see the yellow. Yeah, well, I've never Trip heard to Gippsland has to be in order. Yes, I would have thought so. At about seeding time, I would have thought. Yeah. Oh, dear. But no, they're a lovely plant, the Cleanthus, and they will, because they've got those sort of archy stems, they will train up a wall or something quite well. A friend of mine in Geelong used to have a white one in her garden, and I know she's sold and moved on, so it's very unlikely that she's still got it, but she had it growing up as just a narrow piece of wall next to the front door, and she just kept training it up, up and on one side of the door, and it flowered for ages, and it was just such good value. Mm. I, th- I think they're a stunning plant. I remember mm. the, f- the first time I saw it was in an open garden somewhere in the Yarra Valley years ago, and I thought, oh, wow. 
Mm. I must have. <laughs> now you have. And now I have. Yeah, so Cleanthus punicia, lovely thing, the New Zealand kaka beat. Fantastic. Okay, Stephen? All right, well, um, everybody's familiar with Talbagias. Um you know, the society garlic and lots of people have borders of the straight violacea one uh, that you see around everywhere. And there's a few new hybrids getting around. Uh, and this is actually one of the species that was used in the breeding uh, of those new little movie star ones that you're seeing around a lot. This is uh, Talbagia comincii. Yes. Uh, it only grows to, well, in the old measurements, about six or seven inches tall. Uh, it starts flowering in spring and it just keeps going. And it flowers and flowers and flowers and flowers until the autumn. The flowers are small and sort of a, a lavender blue pink. Um, charming little flowers and individually nothing much to look at. But when you've got a good clump of them going, they make quite some impact in the garden. And, of course, the Talbagias are as tough as they mm. come. I've got Talbagias all through my garden. They're only one inch high. They never get higher than one inch. Why? What eats them? Rabbits. Oh, God. Oh, oh well, I, would, I, I wouldn't expect you to do terribly well with this one then. No. Um, and, of course, they are edible. They do call them society garlic, and you can actually eat them. Yes, um, imagine the, how the rabbits might taste. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pre-sort of um, spiced and flavoured, yes. Yes, yes a nice garlic-flavoured rabbit. Yes. <laughs> I must ask my cat. Yes, <laughs> yes, it probably knows. Um, but I think the Talbaggy is a charming little plant, and, um, and they are so easy to grow as a rule. I mean, yes, rabbits yeah. aside. Well, mine grow well. I just don't see much of them. Yeah. yeah. yeah see, they survive. Even being predated <laughs> they, uh, on a regular basis, they still keep going. Completely predated. Yeah, so Talbagias are all South African. They're in the Aliaceae family, so they are related to the onions. Uh, they tend to have they don't have a bulb under them. They just tend to have like a spring oniony base to them. Uh, and you can easily lift them and divide them and make more out of them. And certainly they flower for months. And I grow two species at the moment. I grow this little tiny one, Cominci, and I grow similar eye, which is sort of at the other end. It has quite broad leaves. Uh, and the similar eye grow is in, in its white form. Uh, and it used to be called Tarbagia fragrance because it has a little bit of perfume to the flower instead of smelling of garlic uh, but yes they're, they're all very useful little border plants and they're edible well they're, they're actually using it they've got a mass planting of them Stephen in a, a roundabout in the middle of uh, Templestow Oh, hard right. to buy. Absolutely on mass, and yeah. they're stunning when they're in full flower. Yeah. They look great. Yeah, and just imagine how much attention they get in a around. Well, they're not getting any stone. attention at all, but yeah. they're doing brilliantly. But yeah. all those cars keep the rabbits away. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That could have something <laughs> that, to do that, with that it. That might help. Yeah, yes. that, that could very well help. <laughs> uh, but yes, I think there's a lot of work can still be done with these. I mean, there's some really weird species tailbaggies. I used to have one which somehow or another has faded out, and I don't quite know why. That had khaki green flowers with an orange centre. And, I mean, yeah. smallish flowers, so, again, does not particularly visually showy from a distance, mm -hmm. but at close quarters, the most remarkable little flower. Yeah, and what a wonderful thing to start breeding with. Yeah, well, you, God knows what you'd end up with. You mm. can end up with some incredible things. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so the Tolbaggies, if you read about them in old literature, they say they're fairly inconspicuous but hardy little bulbs that nobody would be bothered with. But they are starting to become popular because they just are so useful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they flower for months and months and months. Yeah. Mm. So there's Tolbaggia cominci. Exactly. Pam, we had a, an inquiry from Sue. In reference to uh, David Austin and his garden in England, Sue, if you give the nursery a ring at Silky's Rose Farm, 
Um, we'll give you the details of um, contact for David Austin and his garden, which I believe is absolutely magnificent. I bet it's full of roses. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give out the nursery phone number, please? Um, your best ring on. Um, oh, look at it. He's got to go in and find the Di- phone number. Diane's going to kill me. She, she says, you make these people get ring on the, on the telephone. She's so busy on the phone. But anyway, the, the, the number is 0499. Eight seven double one two three. That's zero four double nine eight seven double one two three. Yeah. Well, it serves you right anyway. I'm always busy on the phone too with people ringing up with inquiries and stuff. So you can be too. I don't care. <laughs> Everybody should be busy on the phone. Okay. Um, we might go to Stephen's. Um, oh, my final plant. You're variegated. Yes. I, I love this plant. It's one of the Disporums, uh, Disporum Cecilia variegata, and it has these wonderful white stripy leaves, uh, and it grows like a Solomon seal. It'll get up to around about 30 to 60 centimetres, depending on the soil, and it'll waft through a garden. When it's trapped in a pot, it becomes quite a thick clump, but in a garden bed, it wafts, and so you have individual stems that sort of pop up. So it sort of... A bit like when we were talking about Romney earlier, it sort of it wafts its way through a bed. And if you had it growing with hostas and ferns and all those things, the sarums, all those sort of woodlandy plants, its variegated foliage will just waft through the bed. It has white bells with green on them, a bit like a comparatively large Solomon seal flower for okay. those who know what Solomon yes. seal looks like. But because of the foliage variegation, the flowers are fairly inconspicuous. You hardly even notice they're there. But that silvery white variegation in the shade just stands out. I think that's beautiful. I it's really a like stunning that. variegation. And mm. so I think Disporum Cecilia variegata is a fabulous plant. And once you've got it, if you've got semi-shade and not too dry a spot, you'll always have it. Mm. Fantastic. Lovely. I've got one from the outside line, a prunus that has suckered. Can you propagate from the suckers? If it's budded onto something, then you'll end up with the understock. That would be the main issue. Uh, if it's on its own roots, yes, you could. But nine-tenths of the blossom trees out there are budded. And so they're on an understock. And if something suckers from the root system, which is fairly common, it's the understock and not the above. And they grow the understocks because they have strong root systems, not because they have attractive flowers or attractive <laughs> foliage or attractive anything else. So yeah, I've got a green gauge plum, and it is suckering and suckering and suckering. It's oh. driving me demented. Yeah. Yeah, really bad. Yeah, so yeah, so the issue is you need to know whether it's on its own roots or not. If it is in fact on its own roots, yes, you could propagate from that and end up with the same plant. If not, you're going to end up with something that you'd use as a rootstock, which mm. is pretty pointless. Yes, yes. And then yes. the other question from the outside line is, what was the oregano we were talking about that had maroon flowers? Oh, ah. That's one I had years ago called um, Oregonum Herrenhausen. Yes, it's a seabird's house. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lovely one. Um, you may be able to still get it from Lamley's nursery. Yeah, it's an old cultivar, yes, so it may yeah. not be that readily available, no. but there's bound to be others of similar ilk yes, out there. Yes, well, for think. instance, the growing friend cell Hopley's, which is a, a lighter, more uh, mauvey pink, a more lilac-y pink, a, a deepish, but lighter pink than the Herrenhausen. So it depends which colour you prefer, but Herrenhausen you might have to get from Lamley's, otherwise Hopley's, yes, you can come and see us uh, over the weekend, and I'm sure we can find sell you one. Fantastic. And I think there are a lot of oregano 
um, hot things that have been bred, and some of yes. them. Oh, those ornamentals! Kent Beauty, just lovely. Kent, oh, Kent I love Beauty. Kent Beauty. Yes, we'll have some of that available this weekend too. Oh, wonderful! We'll, yes, I've been propagating that busily. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. All right. Um, we've just had somebody else ask me to mention the name of this uh, variegated thing I was talking about again and probably spell it, I guess. Uh, it is on our Facebook page and I think that the name should be legible. But anyhow, it's Disporum, which is D-I-S-P-O-R-U-M, Disporum. So it's more or less as it's uh, pronounced. Cecile, which is S-E-S-S-I-L-E. Um, uh, which means it has sessile leaves, it has no leaf stem, and variegatum, of course, meaning it's the variegated form. Um, and there's so many things with variegatum in the name that most people should be able to work that one out, uh, <laughs> I would think. So that's what it is. Not readily available, I might add. You'll have to search around to get it. I've only got a few pots left in the nursery this year because I forgot to divide it earlier in the year. Uh, I think I was swanning around in the south of France when I should have been doing some of my perennials, actually, having said that. Um, so there's a few things I didn't get round to dealing with this year, unfortunately. Uh, but I'll have them back on board again in due course, I'm sure, if I run out. Uh, but fabulous plant. And if you want to look up these plants and the spelling of them, go to our Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, simply type in 3CR Gardening Show and it will all come up. So yeah. it will all be there. Lucille, um, we're about running to run out of time. Just quickly tell listeners again the details for the sale next weekend. Thank you, Pam. Yes, we're on at the gardens inside Egate uh, from 10 until 4 on Saturday and from 10 until 3 on Sunday. Uh, we have uh, credit card facilities. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you. We even have some of the garden staff helping us out if you want some further information on plants and all the growing friends will be there to help you as well. So a large variety of Australian natives, bulbs and rhizomes, herbs, rhododendron vireas, succulents, uh, bromeliads, hanging baskets, climbers, camellias, perennials, shrubs, trees and orchids. Excellent. Okay. Um, we have run out of time. We a have. big thank you to Carol and Louise who've handled all the phones. We'll be back next week at 7.30. Until then, you've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.